Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvellous Journey. This is an MCU podcast. We are back in full effect. Admin is done. And this is episode 27, WandaVision, Marvel's first true television show. Middle fingers to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., etc. I am Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how is it going? It's going good. It's funny because... <laughs> so I'm just going to jump straight into this. Like, in terms it. of like overall context of this, mm-hmm. like it is wild to think that this was after what so spider-man no, uh, far from home comes out the mm-hmm. summer of 2019 yes it's the biggest sony movie ever it's kind of a lackluster kind of like capper to the infinity saga like it kind really, of doesn't even count you know yeah. like <laughs> it's it's literally a contractual obligation mm-hmm. for sony to make a spider-man movie yeah we know what the lineup is we go into the comic con and like we're like well they're going to announce all the movies that we know they're filming right now we know they're filming black widow we know they're filming shang chi and kevin feige gets up there and announces kind of the next three years worth of the marvel movies <laughs> and in the timeline we have black widow in the may slot like the big yeah. opening year slot falcon and winter soldier in the spring wandavision in the summer and then obviously the world shuts down for a year and they didn't get to finish some of these. Movie theaters are closed, so Black Widow doesn't get come out. Falcon and Winter Soldier is like so fundamentally like. That's right. That was supposed to be first, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. like knee capped by COVID was Falcon the Winter Soldier that they had to reshoot a lot of it after they were allowed to get shooting it. So WandaVision by default was the first thing that came out, yeah. and it's it's weird how like it feels perfect to be Marvel's first. TV show just in terms of the fact that it's their like ode to, to cinematic history Yeah, but I do think it would have been more palatable to general audiences if it wasn't the first piece of Marvel content that they were getting after like 12 months of nothing. I'm torn on this one because you know obviously we are big Marvel people in a world where people are turning on Marvel and even you, you know, you said to me like absence has not made the heart grow fonder when, when it all finally came back and I was like oh no, <laughs> but even I would say the formula was getting a bit tired. The hope coming out of Endgame is let's see something fundamentally very different. And WandaVision, for the most part, is that. And it's their first TV show. And I, I, I do still think that, like, as much as it alienated people under the age of, like, I don't know, 30, who were like, what is black and white television? What are these references? I think it was right to lead off with something that is different. And it, it does devolve into getting kind of the same by the end of it, which is unfortunate. But, like, to to lead off with, we're just going to play it straight and give you two kind of sitcom parodies with only the slightest hints of Marvel stuff happening. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the success of that idea soon. But, like, spoilers for next week, Falcon and Winter Soldier is just generic MCU bullshit. And, like, I don't know. I think putting your best foot forward with something that, uh, after all is said and done, WandaVision is still the one that people talk about the most, I think. It, it had a huge impact. It kind of really captured the zeitgeist. And it can't be understated, it had no competition. There was nothing new coming out during COVID. Yeah, we were, we were in that, like, lockdown three. It was the Delta variant, all the rest of it. So, like, cinemas were gone. Nothing yeah. was coming out there. The only things that were were, like, Warner Brothers were putting stuff on HBO Max sporadically. But, like, yeah. we were still in this kind of, like, dearth of content where things had only just started shooting about three, four months ago. And so WandaVision being this kind of thing that mostly got finished before the end of the pandemic or the, before the start of the pandemic kind mm. of got to sneak in there and just kind of, like, take over everything. Because it comes out, like, January 15th of 2021. Like, it's yeah. right there at the start it is kind of the first wave of like 2021 content and just it it got so much column space because of it yeah and like it it was all over twitter there were people who don't watch marvel films watching it i know this anecdotally because like my partner's boss or something was like oh yeah i I checked out that wandavision thing everyone's talking about and she was like oh do you you watch marvel films she's like nope never seen one i was like oh okay i wonder what you think of this it just it did it was just dominating twitter and i i do wonder if that is just because there was nothing else in town so it just captured but either way it was a pretty big deal so to lead off with that i still think it probably has worked out for them yeah i wonder how much of it is we as a species have kind of evolved into television being the dominant piece of entertainment that people are willing to watch mm. like you see all the time on like twitter and instagram and stuff like that people do the meme where it's like if someone asked me to watch a two-hour movie i'd recoil but i would happily watch five hour long episodes of a netflix show absolutely yeah it's each one is a decision it's in your hands even if you end up watching more than you would have for a movie in theory the contract between you and what you're watching is i can check out every 40 minutes if i want to or 30 or 20 or 60 whatever it is and yeah it just is more palatable to absorb and and you know we've talked about this a lot but 
a lot of TV is now designed to just be run on like that and like it's all hinging around a cliffhanger and artificial tension and stuff and all of that. Even WandaVision is kind of built around that because I know obviously people people were kind of mad at the first two episodes especially because obviously the the show dropped (laughs) weekly which is a big change because obviously like there have been a few streaming TV shows which would drop on a weekly basis versus a binge model that Netflix has kind of like dominated for a decade. Yeah, like De- like Daredevil. Netflix's Marvel slate began with Daredevil, and like all of those shows are now, or very soon, will be on Disney Plus. I think in everywhere in the world. I think they're in America as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, so you can go watch those. But those very much were like right. Here's the whole season. People would watch them in a weekend, rave about them for a day or two, and then it's just like right. Where's the next thing I can inhale? And, you know, there was gradual kickback to Netflixification of everything, and you did start to see some shows putting their foot down, but no, we want a weekly release. We want you to talk about Succession every weekend for, like, eight weeks. (laughs) The big ones in the streaming world feel like they were, like, Amazon with the boys would get, like, not an awful amount of, kind of, like, headspace, but it definitely felt like every week I was the nerdy people on Twitter go like, oh, I can't wait for next week's boys. I mean, a a conversation for another time, but the boys sucks. (laughs) Invincible, though. Very good. Yeah, it was Invincible Weekly as well. It was. Yeah, and then and then obviously the, the big one that kind of like showed that this was how Disney was going to do it was Mandalorian being right. a weekly release. Yeah, that was their first. Yes, that was their first. That was big before kind of yeah, like right. it was before the pandemic, but it was their first huge kind of like this is this is us putting our foot down in terms of what a Disney Plus TV show looks like. We right. are making movie quality television essentially. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean a regular feature of this podcast is you know box office versus budget. Box office doesn't exist, and budget is hard to pin down because there is no reason to declare your financials for a TV in the way there is for movies. There are rumours that it costs £25 million per episode for all of these shows, which would make WandaVision I think the most expensive TV show ever made at £225 million. I have to imagine it's like 25 per like hour of content. Maybe. But it's still, expensive as fuck. We'll get into how that works out because, you know, that that is the pitch. The, the elevator pitch is we're going to give you movies, movie quality on TV. You are not, as I said in the admin episode, getting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where it's like Oh look, Sif is here. Once a season, you'll get like a like a C or D list person from the MCU, and like you know they got Nick Fury in, in episode one. That fine, but it's not like Iron Man was showing up or anything like that. And they're like, no, no, no. the real the film actors, film quality, blah blah blah. That was yeah. the pitch. So it's it is expensive as shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean like, the the difference here is Kevin Feige is producing this. This yes. isn't Jeff Loeb's Marvel Television. This isn't <laughs> the Ike Pearl Mutter kind of like castle kind of like trying to circle the wagons. This is Kevin Feige and Alan Horn moving mm. away from the overarching Marvel employment. But obviously, we now know that Kevin Feige is actually in charge of like Marvel in its entirety. So whatever. Like yeah. it, 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 we've reached a very weird point where a man who literally started off as a PA on X Men movies is now like <laughs> running the entirety of the yeah. Marvel universe. And like you know, they are clearly aiming towards a world Disney that is where they have a thing every single week, 52 weeks a year, and between Star Wars and Marvel, they they have enough stuff to make that happen. That is grim. However, if you look at Feige versus the other people who have been creatively in charge, it's it's irrefutable that Feige's vision is is more palatable, is nicer, is better quality than what you got from the gentleman. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like he is making a baseline quality things. Like yeah. I think the sad part is, and I think the thing that a lot of people on like film Twitter react to are the lack of big swings <laughs> that he is willing to make. Yeah, is One Division the biggest swing they've ever taken? Knowing that it does default back to being basic bitch Marvel at the end. like yeah, That's that's fundamentally the thing, because I remember the week that these first two episodes came out, everyone was kind of like, where's the source? Like, where's, yeah. <laughs> where's the thing that I'm interested in? And then I'm sat there going, like, these aren't 100% successful riffs no. on the, the sitcoms that they are. They're not quite funny enough. No. But, like, I'm appreciating the fact that they're going for this. By, by their standards, this is weird as hell. I mean, I'm I'm on record as an enormous fan of Legion, like, probably one of my favourite shows of all time. By Legion standards, this is tame as fuck, but, like, you are inching, you're moving the needle slightly closer to Legion than anything you've done before. And it's like, okay, cool, go for it. And, like, mixed results. Yeah, you, you compare when Legion does a Bollywood dance to when Eternals does a Bollywood dance. <laughs> 
and like yeah. Eternals has to come up with like this is happening in universe because it's happening in a movie whereas Legion mm. is just like it's a psychotic break from reality that's happening right now Legion is like developing a visual language for concepts that are non-visual essentially like like the telepathic dance battles and sing-offs and stuff like that these, these non-standard ways of expressing a fight which I wish Marvel would take a cue from that and like you know you have it does just evolve into Wanda and Agatha just firing different coloured lasers at each other and flying around and smashing into each other like action figures like like that Shazam parody where the kid is like mushing them together kind of thing it's like that is what all of these are and to see that like really broke my heart because I think Mike said very early on that like if these are going to be sitcoms they need to be funny and like they were more concerned about being cute and clever than they were about actually making a sincere like here's a 20 minute sitcom even though they were doing their best to adhere to that, like, they're making sure the runtime is the same. They filmed the pilot in front of a, an actual studio audience, and poor them, because there are no fucking jokes in here, really. <laughs> and, you know, adopting the effects of the time, and so much work is being done on costuming and, and opening title sequences, and I think those are great, by the way. Um, the, the, like, bespoke opening titles for every episode are fantastic. Yeah, you can see in these early episodes, before they get to the CGI slugfest, where the money's going to. They are redesigning yeah. this set almost every single week, yeah. which cannot cheap i'm sure it's yeah. all like kind of like movable plates and stuff like that but like fundamentally like this house set yeah. is changing in like well like they're, they're using the house from bewitched they're using the house from lethal weapon like they're using all these famous real world tv houses uh well you know they're sets but still and they're going to all this trouble but they're not actually that funny <laughs> it's like mm. i wish you'd brought in some actual sitcom writers to be like look we've got to insert a certain amount of our like plot building bullshit but can you punch up the rest of it and they didn't really yeah i mean it's it's, it's actually a similar problem to what if where it's like Mm -hmm. we're sat there going like man wouldn't it be cool if they got some like actual animation studios to do this instead of starting a bespoke marvel studio to do it the fan that like and not to be mean to jack schaefer who like show ran this i was looking at her filmography and it's like she has an uncredited script contribution for captain marvel she's done a short frozen film like one of those director video type things or whatever it is and then something called timer that no one has ever seen and it's like you gave this person the keys to your first big show and i know it wasn't supposed to be the first show but like this is so ambitious and you gave this person the keys and like you know it's worked out for her she's gonna get to do house of harkness i think and and you know maybe onto bigger brighter things and i don't think the writing is terrible but it's obvious that they hired from within the kind of the Marvel yeah. wheelhouse. Like they have their their like writing team. Like everyone mm-hmm. who writes a Marvel movie now has probably got a credit on another Marvel movie. Yeah. Like they have an in-house team that they pull from. Yeah. And the issue is is it's the same issue that they have with directors where it's like you do one thing that's vaguely exciting and we're mm-hmm. gonna move you over into the big boy <laughs> the big boy things. And like Matt yeah. Shackman is obviously like a a consummate professional. He has worked in big budget, he has worked on sitcoms, he knows how these things flow. But mm-hmm. the issue is, and I'm not saying you need to get like a Dan Harmon in to write this <laughs> show, because I do not think Dan Harmon would be interested in writing the show because he's uh. fundamentally like, I want to write like even though he has written a lot about the similar themes that are in WandaVision, he wants to do something that he's got full control of rather than something that like yeah. Kevin Feige is going to be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the struggle here is that you're never going to get someone who's got like an authentic, mm-hmm. clear voice because fundamentally you are having to toe a corporate line yeah you're writing to house style and that is difficult and i think it's a well directed i mean i have my issues with every episode being directed by the same person for that doesn't change until hawkeye i think oh no what if what if has different directors but there's like two of them and clearly one of them was real bad but yeah like i i understand it they shot it like they would shoot a movie they didn't shoot it like episodically i don't think i I think they just treated it like a much longer movie um so you have one director on most of them and it does seem going forward they might be changing that up and they might be going with like let's split it between two directors at least but i do think shackman does like it's a great looking show and and you know his his he has worked on like so many fucking shows like Game of Thrones, Succession, Fargo, Six Feet Under, Always Sunny. He was in a Growing Pain spin-off as a child, <laughs> so they really hyped that up. Like, oh, he knows sitcoms. Like, I mean, I guess <laughs> it seems yeah, most of what he directs is more like drama, but sure. Now he's getting to parlay that off into into directing Star Trek. Yes, he took Noah Hawley's Star Trek movie, didn't he? <laughs> like, and I would say 
in comparison to everyone else on the internet. The first three episodes are probably my, like, favourite stretch of the show. I think... Uh, so, like, inescapably, this is kind of a mystery box show, and there was so much week-to-week, like, ooh, Mephisto, ooh, the X-Men, ooh, this, that, and the other, to the point that, like, Jack Schaefer has to apologise preemptively, like, I think the finale's gonna let you guys down a bit, kind of thing, which is a bummer. But, like, when I went back and actually reviewed them all for, for Marvel Mondays, I really loved those first three episodes far more than I did on a first watch, and I think taking out the tension of, like, wanting to know what happens, and just paying attention to it on its own merits kind of thing and not trying to constantly guess what's going to happen next yeah i think those three are like wholly successful i wouldn't say any of those three are my favorite individual episode but like as a stretch i think one through four is the show like i think you start to notice it losing steam in six through nine five is personally my favorite episode i don't know if you have an individual fave but uh, yeah, I think Five is the one where, like, because that's the one where it gets to a more modern sitcom that probably both of us are kind of like more acquainted with in terms of <laughs> in terms of style. I mean, I'm an I'm an '80s guy, like, on, uh, famously, so like that doesn't hurt them. But for me, it's like this is where you get the Wonder and Vision fight, and the you know she tries to roll end credits on him to make him stop talking. It's where Wonder walks out of the bubble consciously, and you're like, oh shit, she knows all of it. Because like up until then, it's like, is she being held prisoner by a Mephisto and Agatha? Darkness, whoever and when she just walks out under her own power and is like hey fuck off to the to sword it's like oh shit what i thought was going on is not going on and then they do drop the evan peters thing at the end and like that probably <laughs> represents the worst part of of the show in terms of like what it did with the audience yeah. people were like adamant right magneto's showing up next week like wolverine will be here by the end x-men are in in marvel here we go baby and it's like it's just meant to be a cute like a cute casting and like obviously some multiverse stuff ends up happening before the year is out so who fucking knows what's happening there but i always read it as feige worked on x-men it will never be canon but he has some love for it so he's just being cute kind of thing yeah it's it's, i mean it's the perfect thing to drop into this show because everyone knows that they are siblings arguably pietro is the most successful part of the kind of like the second quadrilogy of x-men yeah and yeah it's just it just that's the thing is as you say like it's because they get to the the multiverse by the end of the year Mm. it feels like this came this was a relic before they decided to go fully on board with it and i think it shows how kind of a lot of these things are happening very last minute yeah. like we obviously like we had the title Doctor Strange in the uh, Multiverse of Madness we knew mm-hmm. that Wanda was going to be in it and so like you've got the interviews now where everyone's going like well Doctor Strange wasn't the original pitch for the finale yep we're going to have a cameo. The commercials were supposed to be him trying to communicate with her. He was supposed to explicitly be in it. And then Feige comes in and says, no, 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 no. Let's take this all out. Let's rewrite Doctor Strange to basically put what would have been the cameo into the movie instead of the series. So I think all that stuff in The Orchard or like in Westview or whatever, I think that was originally supposed to be in this finale. But we'll see how big her presence is in that movie. I think she's billed as second. So she, like, I think she is second billed on the movie. And obviously mm-hmm. you can't really escape at this point like she's now now their only award nominated actress i think she is the only actress i think in any marvel thing that has now been nominated for one of the big four awards Mm. for the playing of character in the marvel universe i think the ultimate thing you can achieve with these disney shows is to take a character that like is never going to get a solo movie has been underserved in movies they're in already and rehabilitate them and i think that is wholly successful with wanda vision i think benefited from it it's, but it's clearly not on this level. Wanda is now a superstar. Next time she shows up, that's a character people are excited for. And before, the seven years before that, I don't think many people gave a shit about Wanda. I actually liked her work in Infinity War. But inarguably, by the end of this, it's like, oh, Elizabeth Olsen is super fucking talented. When And I think not doing the accent helps. And it was a bummer that she basically decides at the end of it, no, I'm going to have the accent again. Like, ah, damn it, you were so close. But yeah, you get to see her wear so many fucking hats in this show like adapt to each sitcom thing and then the character itself is cool as shit because they've never said scarlet witch out loud it was the epiphany we all had it's like hang on have they ever said scarlet witch or is that just what we call her because that's who she is and it was like no no they haven't and then to mythologize that character and be like you are the scarlet witch you're not supposed to exist you're so powerful and to debut the real costume finally it's like and I actually think it's a really good balance between comic accurate and actually looking cool on screen. 
Yeah, I, I, think... I think I think I think that's the that's the issue is that like they have the arc down for all these characters. I think like Wanda's arc is great. I think Agatha is a fantastic foil. I think Vision's arc is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that like I wish they didn't bottle it on the structure they set out in those first kind of like five <laughs> episodes is is fundamentally it. Like and and I'm, I hate to kind of like keep harping on it, but it's like when you watch what Lindelof does on television. And obviously he's coming from a world in which he starts off doing Nash Bridges and doing like episodic crime of the week stories, essentially. And then he moves into Lost and he's like, well, I'm still on network television. I need to maintain a structure to how we do television. And so uh-huh. he settles on the flashback option where like, every yeah. episode has a new lead character. Everyone on the show can be a lead character, even if for only 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the not revolutionary thing that Lost does, but definitely the thing that kind of helps it juggle its huge cast. And then he takes that point of view to HBO for The Leftovers and Watchmen, which is fundamentally each episode has a point of view character. We're not going to see the whole world every single episode. We're going to see a pocket of it and it might be a struggle to fit like the entire narrative into 10 episodes but we'll structure it in such a way that like we can go do episode 9 and have that be focused on a character that we literally haven't seen all season and have Mm -hmm. that fill in all the blanks that we've got for the entire season and then you get this where it's like the first three episodes and episode five are like kind of like really good imitations of the sitcoms that they're trying to copy maybe they're not as successful in terms of them being funny but it's very obvious that they're like they're quite specific in terms of their tones the reference points like you've got the fact that wonder and vision don't share a bed together (laughs) the two beds together like it's all well and good and all very meta and then episode four is obviously the break from that where they go we need to contextualize everything that's been happening so far that's the one where i think people kind of like realized what was going on and it kind of yeah. like let them settle into the groove for the rest of the thing yeah but and it, in theory in a, a structure of three in one out i like structure myself i like consistency like that and it's like okay that's cool but like and i personally i do like that that first episode outside of the hex but i think the back half of the season just is is just inferior and like once because- once you've introduced this trio of Jimmy, Monica, and Darcy, they have to be in it from then on. So even even in that 80s episode, we're not staying in the hex for the whole... We're not staying in the sitcom right up until... You know, the pilot has, at the end, like, you see a person's hand watching the TV kind of thing, and that is later shown to be Darcy or whatever. But once you've introduced those three, we're then cutting back and forth, and it's kind of like... I really wish you'd just really fucking stuck to your guns here. Yeah, like, we, we come back in episode 8 and we get to find out all the things that have been going on in between and stuff like that. Like, you can still do Wanda leaving the Hex to go tell these people off because, yeah. like, things are happening. But, like, we're like, what what is happening? What are they trying to do? And then you just get this episode. But, yeah, it's, it's the kind of the bottling of the structure is the first kind of warning sign that mm. things are going wrong. And it kind of all coalesces in that episode six where it's like they start with a really pointed Malcolm in the Middle parody. And then like, within 10 minutes they're out. Like they're just like, ah, fuck it. It's it's just a different show now. And like they skip the 90s to achieve that. Like, you know, you, you there's a very clear 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then I don't know if they're trying to claim Malcolm in the Middle as a 90s show, even though it started in the year 2000. But essentially you've got 2000s and then a sort of hodgepodge of 2010s. We've got I, like the opening credits of Happy Endings mixed with the structure of like a modern family in the office and there's even a little bit of arrested development it feels like thrown in there it just it just becomes so much more fast and loose as it goes on yeah i think it's because the the late 90s kind of killed the family sitcom like (laughs) that's the thing is that 80s one is very obviously based on like family ties full house and stuff like that but all of these shows like roseanne starts in 88 full house starts in 87 like they all all these shows kind of bleed into the early 90s sure and then Friends kills them all dead. Friends basically says, you do not make the family sitcom anymore. Yeah, and that was their conscious choice. Like, at one point, they wanted some different... Kind of, like, I think the pitch for episode four was, let's make it like CSI. Let's have Jimmy Woo in an episode of CSI kind of thing. But then they were like, no, we want all of the shows to be family sitcoms. And like, yeah, if this family sitcom uh, functionally doesn't exist for most of the 90s, what can you do? And like, there was least- that last group only modern family of those I, I mean I guess you can say Arrested Development as a family sitcom but not quite But yeah but even then you get like the fact that the opening credits that week are like so so thoroughly The Office and Happy Endings and Happy Endings but yeah. like, it, it, it is more The Office like into, even down to like the kind of like the synthy like doo, doo, yeah 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 the, the theme tune is clearly an Office sound alike and like the calendar and all of that is, is, is The Office but like the montage of like saying the word in all these different backgrounds that is like one for one from Happy Endings and like happy that got a shout out I have to assume it's because of the Russos 
Yeah, like that's the only reason it gets a shout out, really. <laughs> yeah, and also one of the great shows that got cancelled that I don't think Jerome and Kevin are going to cover in their cancelled too soon, even though it's better than all of those shows. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that thing is like they just kind of get bored of it and they lose the specificity, yeah. and I think it it's a shame mm-hmm. because when you're getting to the emotional denouement of mm-hmm. the entire show, you kind of sat there going like sitcoms are far better equipped to deal with the kind of things that you're trying to do now than they were in the 1950s and 1960s like mm-hmm. yes we get the very special episode but it's always that kind of like very cloying like we need to teach the boys about how their dog died and what death is <laughs> is the kind of thing and then you get to the 2000s and it's like what's the very special episode of scrubs is about like death and grief and uh-huh. and like how you deal with it and obviously scrubs isn't a family sitcom unless you want to say like the workplace is like a family oh, yeah. but it's still <laughs> there are tools that you can borrow from in terms of the modern sitcom and have it be an interesting yeah. kind of conclusion to this in that same way and again it's the episode eight they no it's not episode eight episode seven is when they start off with the the kind of like the modern family office really. yeah wanda talking to camera like being like hmm, i'm losing my mind and like i do actually like the touch that it's kind of coming unfrayed and things are changing at random like the kids are playing with video game controllers which become joysticks which become uno cards kind of thing and i i like it starting to come unattached but yeah you're just kind of talking directly to camera and that does let you do the big agatha reveal and like you know you hear that voice from off screen of like do you think you deserve this kind of thing and wanda's like you're not supposed to talk and then at the end you reveal agatha's sitting in that chair directing it and everything and i think that's the thing is like the episode seven is the agatha all along bit isn't it yeah, yeah 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 and that's like i think that's just completely overtook that entire episode was that yeah. reveal at the end of it is like we all knew Catherine hahn was was something big involved in the show you don't get Catherine hahn <laughs> have her be the like and at the end of every single credit and have her just be the nosy neighbor a yeah. nosy neighbor <laughs> like even even like even with the red herring of like vision like um brainwashing her to have a conversation at the previous episode you're like yeah no i don't know this there is something more going on here yeah and like you know the easter egg nerds are like oh this brooch is the same as agatha harkness's brooch and, and you know all that stuff is happening but like yeah but like agatha all along goes viral as does her doing the little wink in like episode three i think yeah three because it turns color at the end of two yeah that wink becomes a huge meme and then agatha all along tops the charts in a world where everyone uses spotify so no one's actually paying for anything so weird stuff Stuff goes number one. <laughs> like we don't talk about Bruno now being number one in the UK for seven weeks. <laughs> yep. And you know, like Catherine Hahn's a fucking force in this show. Um she she excels in that just a nosy neighbour routine I, I, and like she's... adapting again. Like that's the thing. I think she and Olsen adapt to the different settings better than the rest of the cast. Yes. Um, absolutely. Wearing the lycra and doing buns of steel and stuff like that is funny. And like I, I think it helps that both of them kind of look like like they they have that timeless look where they can yeah. look like Fifties um, housewives. Fifties like, housewives yeah. and they can look like kind of like modern put upon things and they can look like the fun cool aunt and stuff like that. And they're both just incredibly mm-hmm durable and charismatic and kind of like they can adapt themselves and the show is kind of like built around them and all of my complaints with the show fundamentally like they do not fall on them they fall on like the writing failing them and then the the kind of structure failing them at points yeah like it it looks great you've got these three two and a half huge performances that dream team kind of thing of, of of Jimmy, Monica, and Darcy, that has no business working, but it does, because those are three yes. likeable actors. And that, That's the thing, is like, it, I feel awful saying I don't want to see the three episodes, because they are bringing mm-hmm. humour, and they are bringing kind of like traditional Marvel style, but I'm like, you're getting in the way... A little bit of what this of what this show should be. A little bit, and it's just sort of like you know they they are using very easy shorthand. They're the only three reasonable people in a room full of G men, kind of thing. Where like simple stuff like they call Jimmy is the only person that calls Darcy Doctor Lewis, and you know they're, they're just reasonable human beings. But they do kind of get in the way for sure, and it even ends weirdly because Darcy doesn't even fucking appear at the end like she just bounces that, that off screen be, that has to be covid i'm sure it is but like obviously you're setting monica up for more and and she and tiana paris is, is great in the in the show a step below the big three but great and like the way they express like her gaining her powers gradually like the different like versions of her all in a line kind of thing is very cool but they're just kind of breaking it and like also it's like it raises such a huge question because they're watching the show on TVs. 
But like they're there for quite a while. Does that mean in each of these eras there is a whole season that we're not seeing of the fifties Dick Van Dyke show send up or whatever, and we're only seeing the one that is episode one? Or is that episode on repeat for like the whole time until it changes? Or what is happening here? And yeah. like, it kind of raises more questions than it answers. That's the thing is like when you dip outside the hex and like every single clip they see is from something that we've seen them do. Mm. And like I mean, maybe you just say that each each episode is a day and like these things are happening in real in time a, instead in of a twenty two minute sitcom. But like yeah. we know that they're not though, because we see it exactly as we saw it. Except for I mean, I do think a fun thing they do is you know I mean, we haven't really talked about the plot at all. <laughs> but like where when you get like Monica confront Wanda and they can't see what happened kind of thing. And then they will repeat that trick later with the like flashback to how Wanda interacted with an infinity stone and Hydra are watching the CCTV and she's walking and then she's suddenly on the floor. But we mm. still have this whole moment where she like sees the Scarlet Witch in the air and everything. And I, I think that kind of stuff is, is cool and cute that like there is an unseen aspect to everything that is like censoring what you can see and then I think the most effective part about committing so hard to the premise in episode one, like that's the one that a lot of the, the tweens really struggled with because it's like they're playing this completely straight almost. Like there's there's little Marvel references, they're saying Sokovia, they're talking about synthesoids and, and all of that stuff. However, it is just a sitcom. No one is acknowledging anything that's happened before. And then right at the end, you have his boss choking and you have Deborah Joe Rupp like turning to wonder and be like, <laughs> stop it stop it and like everything like the laugh track is gone everything comfortable is gone and you have those moments and they do keep doing them throughout where it's like get agnes at the time but agatha being like do you, do you want me to read that line again kind of stuff. and all of those little breaks where everyone is like afraid of wonder i think work really really well i and i think that's my kind of my big query is so obviously, when does the laugh track end? Uh, is, it, is it just in like episode one and two, or is it? I think it's in the seventies as well. I think it's gone for the eighties, but I could I, like, I could be wrong. I mean, I literally watched it all in a row last night, and I that's the thing tell is, you. You, just don't, you just don't remember them having the laugh track, and it's like that feels like a perfect thing for them to put a pin in and go like before Wanda casts people in the town, mm-hmm. they are forced to sit and watch them do the sitcom in that kind of like that kind of twisted way feels like a really interesting avenue that they don't explore down to the fact that like when you get to the documentary episode you've got agatha is the director and asking Mm -hmm. the questions in kind of like the thing voice and it's like it would be kind of sick and twisted to like show the entire supporting cast kind of like in the traditional kind of like seats you get when you're watching a sitcom be recorded Mm. and like they're they're just being told you have to laugh like the applause sign or whatever and and you know when they are briefly broken out of the spell it's like it hurts i'm exhausted dotty being like can I please just see my child, my my daughter, kind of thing? And that revelation that like that you don't even notice. There are no children in this town until and, the Halloween episode where Wanda lets them out, just to kind of go like, "Look, the kids are around." Exactly, yeah, and like the the grim realization that like Wanda is in in Dottie's words, she's locked in her room, and like you know she's clearly like safe and alive, but like just that pleading was like, "Please, they could be friends with your boys," and and like I think we we now need to pivot into the plot because. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is about the children, which is a famous part of, you know, like those of us in the know when this Scarlet Witch and Vision romance was sort of being hinted at in the movies. We know they have children, (laughs) despite that being biologically impossible. Well, yes. So I think this would probably be an appropriate time to a, a thing that normally happens near the beginning for you to take us to Comic Book Corner. And there are two very obvious influences on this show i think the other one that's kind of important is this is very much pulling from kind of like the wonder and vision yes. tenure on the on the avengers like yes. fundamentally this show is kind of doing a lot of the stories that normally took place kind of in between avengers missions where it's like their romance their marriage their children is taking place in the main avengers book like if you were looking for wonder and vision stories like that was where you had to go mm-hmm. i think there were two stories which were like wonder and the vision there was definitely at least one book that was the Vision and the Scarlet Witch, or, or yes. reverse them, whichever got top billing. Yeah, and like, those existed, but obvi- but then in terms of the modern interpretation of both these characters, in terms of where their mental headspaces are, the two big ones are obviously House of M, which takes place after Avengers Disassembled, which has the basically the revelation that Wanda has had like a complete total break with reality, and accidentally breaks the world yeah accidentally breaks the world basically the the entire thing is her and vision have children no one questions the fact they have children basically (laughs) eventually it comes out that the children were constructs by wanda that never existed she never actually had children 
they were they were fake constructs that aren't they pieces of Mephisto's soul? I think so. It, yeah. It's very complicated, and I think that's where everyone was kind of pulling at Mephisto is going to be in this by the end. Uh-huh. And eventually, so basically, her losing her children causes her to have a complete dissociative break and basically destroy everything, which leads into House of M, in which Wanda has basically made mutants into the dominant species she's, in the world. She's swapped the status quo. Like, like yes. mutants are, are most of the population. Magneto is king of the world. The House of M is is Magneto. Like, you know, Magneto's king. Her and Pietro are like, you know, prince and princess, whatever. And yeah, everything's... She's trying on a subconscious level to make her father happy, to make everything good for all of these mutants... And then, is it Wolverine or is it Cap who like is aware of it all? And Wolverine's aware of it all. Yeah. No, is it? No, is it? No, no, no. Isn't Hawkeye it? Um... Is Hawkeye's aware of it all. Oh yeah, like Hawkeye was dead and now he's alive and all of this stuff. And you know, it it's a very big famous story. I don't know if it's actually a good one personally. Like it, it's it's it's, it's, it's cool in concept. It's Bendis' first big time of the event kind of wagon. And I think it does a good enough job because obviously it's pulling from the fact that Bendis' New Avengers is incredibly popular and Joss Whedon's X-Men is incredibly popular at the time. And it's kind of trying to merge these two things into telling the story. But obviously the big fallout of this event is when... And again, another thing right. that kind of gets in the way of like how the show nar- narratively progresses is the fact that the show ends with Wanda saying no more mutants, which basically creates a new status quo for the X-Men in the Marvel Universe. Yep. where there's, there's like 200 mutants in the whole world. And, so and it's everyone. all the ones you know, conveniently. <laughs> there's like yeah. five characters who have lost their mutant abilities and they all get them back. But for the most part, it's like the 10,000 mutants you never see are no longer mutants, but all of the X-Men still are, basically. Yeah. And like, no more mutants is like a viral thing. It's a huge moment in the history of comic books. Like, no joke, probably the, the biggest three-word phrase in the history of comic books. Yes. Um, and having this show be based so thoroughly on storylines that are pulling from this kind of means that everyone's sort of going like oh we're going to get the X-Men at the end of this yeah yeah is she going to say the word mutants because the, the the long eventually that X-Men thing is tidied up with at the end of a big event she says I can't remember exactly what she says but she says something that like makes mutants come back essentially and this show does sort of hint around at because this is the, like the problem they've had from day one they didn't own X-Men the movie rights so they could never say Wonder is a mutant and like Quicksilver's in both, but in the Avengers you can't say he's a mutant. In the X Men you can't say he's an Avenger. Yeah, both both of them have got long tenure in both the X Men books and the Avengers books, so yes. that led to this. So weird case it's book. a weird sharing, yeah. So they always use this word like enhanced and all this. So they dance around it. They since acquire X Men and they kind of hint around that Wanda had latent mutant abilities and exposure to the stone just put them into overdrive and like we know the x-men are coming to marvel we don't know how they're going to pull it off this is an option they can take where like exposure to the infinity gauntlet via the snap possibly Mm. is waking up dormant mutant genes or whatever but so there's so much happening like the the very concept of her like suffering a massive trauma and breaking reality is informing part of it but in terms of the like the aesthetic it's coming from tom king's vision run which is probably the best contained Marvel story of the last 10 years. Yeah, Marvel don't do just, like, in and out, here's a story you can pick up off a shelf and just read it and have a good time. They do ongoing. And, and, and Tom and King specialises in the 12-issue, look how depressed this person is. <laughs> I'm going to take a character that no one has thought about writing for a little while and do yeah. something, like, wildly idiosyncratic with it. Yeah. But that's also pulling from the history. So you get this vision book, which is, like, pulling from so many different facets of the character. Where it's like, it makes an entire nuclear 1950s-style family for him. Mm-hmm. But also you've got the fact that, like, Ultron is technically Vision's brother, like, is playing into the plot, and Hank Pym is his dad, and... Yeah, Grim Reaper shows up, uh, who is his... Yeah, so he's, like, based on a real person, his brainwaves, he's and Grim Reaper is his Grim... brother. His wife kills Grim Reaper and buries him in the backyard, kind of thing. Yeah, he, like, makes a wife, he makes himself some kids he makes a dog called sparky which is where you're getting the the dog sparky and he he wants the white picket fence leave us alone we're just a nice little family kind of thing that's like meet the visions things go real real weird real quick obviously and agatha plays into it and yeah 
it's really really good but it's also one of those things where like it's pulling the the stylistic trappings putting the television kind of like the 19 the 1950s sitcom thing as like a pull to make it more palatable for the cinematic universe and then it's making a story about wanda rather than the story about vision and making about her trauma that would have happened in terms of like house of m and then the other important thing we have to mention is the young avengers setup Which, we're, which is basically going to be like a thing we're doing every fucking episode. For, yeah, for where it, it seems... So their kids are two of the, the main Young Avengers because, you know, they are destroyed, they never existed, but then comic bullshit, she gets them back. And that is where we, we end this show, where she, by the time she's confronted it all and accepted she has to let all this go, her kids fade away and then she's scanning through the dark hole trying to find her children and that seems to be what the plot of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to be they're like hey maybe don't look through every reality trying to find your like non-existent children <laughs> so yeah they, they, they are merging all of these concepts we find out via episodes uh, episode 8 I suppose it is where like the big flashback episode yeah so like following the events of Endgame you know Vision is is dead and like by the by when they have that brief moment where she hallucinates Vision with his head like caved in as Thanos did to him but while he's like talking to her super fucked up mm-hmm. um, but not the most fucked up thing with Vision that was the baby in the <laughs> the baby Vision in the, the child montage thing <laughs> haunting Wanda basically walked into Sword HQ Sword took his body were experimenting on it. Of course they want to turn it into a weapon. Seize they take the... it apart. They just say, we take it apart because it's the biggest weapon in the world. It's completely altruistic, Matt. Sort of good. <laughs> sort of good. Sort of great. Sees him, like, in different pieces. Is devastated. And then just a real kick in the balls. Vision had bought them a plot of land in New Jersey. Everything's legal in New Jersey. And uh, <laughs> she goes and stands in this, like, plot, which has the foundations for a house but no house. And just has a fucking breakdown and builds the whole house. And I think seeing her assemble it in that episode and like seeing the black and white creep in and she changes and like you can see the reflection in the in the the TV like she's in color and everything else is in black and white. I think that is really powerful to watch and you know devastating that he had this plan for them and you know died. Yeah, and she's been she just didn't think it through essentially. It's interesting because like obviously this episode eight of all the flashbacks is a really successful deep dive into what Wanda's feeling. I mean, obviously, there is the meme line that has been done to death. Like, <laughs> what is grief? <laughs> what is grief but love persevering? Yeah. Which, the greatest look, line ever written. Obviously, it got out of hand. That is a good line, though. Loads of line. writers chimed in and would be like, I would kill to have written that line. It's just the internet turned it, you know, got a hold of it and destroyed it. Yeah, like all the Marvel sounds are basically just like, look at this, you could never write this, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> this is the Iliad. Like, this is this is everything. It's seeing where the, all the sitcom stuff comes from, like, any time they try and do fake Eastern Europe, you know, Sokovia, like, it's it's shit. Like, you know, oh, look, here's a stereotypically Russian family and here's our excuse for why they're speaking English and, oh, they love bootleg sitcoms. And it's like, okay. But, like, I, I appreciate they tried and, like, you see her watching some stuff with Vision and, and, and watching stuff while she's locked up at Hydra and all of that. So, like, it, it is a cutesy way to acknowledge why is it sitcoms? Why is she retreated into the sitcom? And, yeah, and that's and why. It, and it's nice because it is another off-format episode, even if it is, like, completely off-format. Like, no one is, else is in the episode, are they? Uh, no, it's just Agatha. So Agatha all along is at the end of the episode before, and then, so Agatha has taken an interest in Wanda because, like, you shouldn't be able to do the things you can do teach me because you use chaos magic blah 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 and like she's using runes to stop her fighting back and then she's forcing her to take a tour through her life to find out how she came to learn chaos magic and how this all came to happen and basically she comes to the conclusion that like oh you just knew it essentially (laughs) yeah well i mean she doesn't know she's her conclusion is you're the scarlet witch um, yeah, but at first she's like, right, what's your trick? What did you do? What did you consciously do? Yeah, and then learning she didn't consciously do it is the whole Chaos Magic Scarlet Witch thing. Yeah, like the unique confluence of trauma and Infinity Stone has kind of like made you into the strongest. And, and that leads us into that bullshit final episode that is yeah, I, I, longer I, I, for no reason, devolves into CGI nonsense. You've got Vision versus Vision because Sword have successfully reassembled Vision's body, but with no sense of a soul. Yeah, we get, he then we get the classic. Regains- his soul from talking to Vision. 
<laughs> like sitcom Vision, and is just off as a redhead. You know, he's off somewhere in the world, so Vision's going to come back clearly at some point. But it's just the fundamental, like it's the classic Marvel fallback of the hero will have to fight someone who is their inverse. Yeah, Scarlet Witch and Agatha have to fight each other in the sky. So Vision uh, has to yeah. fight himself and has yeah. to. Iron Man that. will fight a robot suit, knock off Iron Man. Hulk will fight Abomination. Like it's the most boring bullshit. Like, and that's why Thor kind of rules because Thor fights giant monsters for the most part <laughs> but yeah a lot of these heroes have to just fight their mirror opposite like even like Black Widow is fighting Taskmaster who is kind of just a, a Black Widow on steroids kind of thing <laughs> yeah it's it's a real shame and obviously it's an inherent weakness to superhero comics yeah or at least most superheroes iconic villain is someone who is just their inverse yeah or at least the most adaptable one I, I blame inverse. the Green Power Ranger personally everyone is so enamoured by this like what if hero but bad idea and obviously all these nemesises nemeses predate power rangers by decades but still like there is this undeniable fascination and i think it normally leads to bullshit and isn't good but like what if good but bad <laughs> kind of thing but yeah, yeah. It, it's what they know how to do the show becomes uglier and that's the thing to know to note as well every time they leave the hex you go into the what did someone call it Marvel look, and it's like it's it's just a it's just a, a standard ratio yeah Marvel it's, ratio, and it's just it's, a standard it's just a standard aspect ratio for cinematic movies. Yeah. and like, like you see the letterboxing come in as she leaves the hex, and like I don't want to be mean, but it kind of underlines how shit a lot of Marvel movies look because you have these like really well lit, nice looking sitcom parodies, and then she steps out, and it just looks like generic bullshit <laughs> of just yeah. like you can't see what's going on because like oh it's nighttime, it's like yeah, but. We're watching a fucking movie. Like, let, let's just suspend reality for a second and light the damn thing. It's a real shame. And again, everything feels so rushed. And obviously, mm. I, I do think the successful thing in the finale is the goodbyes between yeah. Wanda and Vision and Wanda and the kids, which obviously yeah. is why the episode is so much longer but you have to push through like in episode 8 Agatha mentions that like oh these runes mean that only the person who cast them can cast magic which is how obviously Wanda gets to beat her at the end because she and... made big runes in the sky and she's faking it all and turning grey and it's all just fucking bullshit yeah, and, and Vision <laughs> wins by basically doing Theseus' ship and it's just like okay at what point are you no longer Vision <laughs> essentially and like all these questions about how does he live without the stone? How does Vision in this world have the stone? And it's because Wanda's powers come from the stone that is in his head and all this fucking yeah, bullshit. And we have, to, we have to wrap up Hayward, who is just kind of like mm. the generic G-Man villain of the season who does I, I thought he did a I thought he did a, a fine job, but it was only kind of... Like, it... I don't mean, like, fine as in good. I mean, like, fine as in, like, eh. He's asked to come in and just be, like, that very clearly shady government guy who very briefly tricks people into thinking he has best interests. And then it's like, oh, let's shoot kids. Fuck it. Yeah. And it, Monica it, gains superpowers. Turns out that Pietro was actually an actor called, called Ralph Boner. And, <laughs> Boner. Uh, Boner is indeed a line that exists. You know, we, but, we are obligated to do our Marvel wrap-up, and then it's like, okay, now let's get back to emotion. It's like, oh, look which of these things work better yeah but the thing is i the marvel bullshit obviously kind of like grinds the finale to a halt and they kind of get back to the stuff that the season's been building up to mm. the thing that kills the finale for me is wanda walking through the street and all the people that she's brainwashed into living the sitcom world kind of like <laughs> staring at her and then yeah. monica turns to her and goes they'll never know what you lost for them and it's like fuck off <laughs> fuck off <laughs> fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> She has captured these people and brainwashed them for, like, two weeks of their lives. And then when they criticised her, she choked them all. <laughs> One of them literally said, I want to die. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that the show kind of has to kind of, like, ha like, she has to be some semblance of a hero. And hopefully Doctor Strange kind of fixes this. But the fact that Monica gives, gives this, like, hand-wavy, like, don't worry, we're not going to arrest you, we think you've gone through enough. It's like, no, you, she needs to be locked up. Yeah. There needs to be, you need to do something where it's like, I'm sorry, Wanda, like, you have broken far too many laws you have damaged far too many people's lives you are using your trauma to in to inflict upon other people and the yeah. fact that the show just completely bungles the end of it and like we it's... already we already have that line in the doctor strange trailer which is supposed to be such a dunk of like how come when i use my powers to change things i'm a villain and you're a hero it's like you fucking enslaved a town and <laughs> And I, I genuinely think that's the thing that like just makes me turn on the show is the mm. fact that they're just so completely 
opposed to fully villainizing Wanda. I understand that we are sympathetic to her, and that's what makes would make her an excellent villain turn. And hopefully, again, Doctor Strange does something with this, where she yeah. is like maybe she is the villain of Doctor Strange. Who knows? Like... Maybe she is. But the thing, fundamentally, this show completely drops the ball, and it's probably in terms of the fact that like, well, we can't spoil that she's the villain of Doctor Strange too, mm. if we have like Monica pull a gun on her and try and arrest yeah. her at the end of this. But, you know, she's reading the Dark Hold at the end, which, you know, the Book of the Dead, the magical book, whatever, like, it's been in both Runaways and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it being different says, fuck you, neither of those are canon, no matter how much you want them to be. She's in a cabin somewhere, and she's reading the Dark Hold, and she's trying to use, you know, forbidden magic to find her children, and, and that's where we, we end things. Like, you know, Monica is recruited into S.H.I.E.L.D., into S.W.O.R.D., but no, she's recruited into whatever... Like, real sword. Like, yeah, like, 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 like Samuel she... L. Jackson, <laughs> Nick yeah, Fury's just... space sword. Um, Whether or not she appears next in the Marvels or in Secret Invasion is left to be seen. Yeah, but she, she's been recruited, um, you know, like, a Skrull recruits her for Nick Fury. Wanda is now the Scarlet Witch. There is a vision out there. Jimmy Woo's missing persons case, completely unresolved. They have still not revealed who it is. They've said who yep. it isn't, but they've not said who it is. Agatha is imprisoned permanently as the Nosy Neighbor character. Until her spin-off. That's set before it, so maybe until oh, okay. after. Yeah, and also, like, could Wanda have just kept the house? Like, it's just an empty plot of land. Could she have just kept the house with her fake she vision would, and her fake children she and just lived there? the house destroyed by everyone who lived in that town. <laughs> would you try and fuck with Wanda after what she just did to you? No, 100% some kid is going to come up and write Scarlet Bitch on like... <laughs> Damn, scathing. I think we've covered everything there. I will say one thing I did really like. When Vision, in the Halloween episode, goes to the outskirts of the town, and it's that whole... So they're too far out to be, like, real people. Yeah, I am loath to reference Rick and Morty, but, you know, where the simulation doesn't have enough power, and it's just, like, doing base... And there's just people doing... There's, like, that lady doing, like, one task over and over, and the, the tear is running down her cheek, and... You're right, Matt. Vision is very much the Jerry of WandaVision. <laughs> Huh, human music. Yeah, I like that quite a lot, that he reaches the outskirts of the town. You literally can't leave the town. Agatha is helping sell the idea by pretending and all of that. But, you know, earlier we had the Doctor trying to leave town and he couldn't. And, yeah, I I did like that when when he poked around at the edge. We'll do a quick run through the cast and say whether or not we think they're good. Two straight thoughts before we move on. Number one is I really like the kind of chaos of us returning from the snap. Like, this is the... Like, obviously it was played... I think an issue that Marvel has is that we've now had kind of, like, three or four different versions of people returning from the snap. Mm -hmm. And the first one is entirely comedic. And then this one is just fucking chaos. And it's just, like... (laughs) Uh, Monica returning to the hospital where her dying mother was getting better and has since died. What happens if you, like, reappear in what is now, like, a wall or something? Like, we don't know. I think that's a frustrating thing, too, is it's taken a long time to get any kind of peek at what the status quo is. Mm. Um, Because, you know, Spider-Man almost, on some level, doesn't count, as we've said. WandaVision is very self-contained. You know, Loki is off in a completely different place. Like, the questions of, like... Is there an Avengers? What is the state of the world? Blah, blah, blah. It took a frustratingly long time to be revealed. And it, it felt like they're stalling for time. Like, Black Widow is, is set before, and it felt like they're stalling for time a little I, bit. I think we're kind of in this thing where, like, they were very much going from this from the point of view is, like, this was going to be a break year. Mm-hmm. We were going to do some kind of, like, less connected things, and we yep. were going to do like introduce some new characters, and they kind of got forced into, like, this year being a weird hodgepodge of, like, lots of different projects that kind of weren't supposed to be sequenced together in quite a constrained period of yeah. time. Yeah. Like, Doctor Strange was supposed to come out and be our first, like, mm-hmm. big sequel that Spider-Man kind of usurps just on the contractual bullshit of Spider-Man at this point. <laughs> and Spider-Man kind of gives you the biggest look into the world in some ways. Yes. But, yeah, so there is that. And then my second thing, Fred Malamed. Hmm. I, I love him as a comedic actor. Hmm. The fact that he is, like, in that opening credit, I have to assume it's literally just kind of, like, pilot energy. He's in that first episode, therefore he gets credited as a regular. Good agent, man. <laughs> yeah, but then he is, like, the one character who doesn't come back whatsoever. I know, that sucks, because he's great. And it, I would have loved to have seen them adapt his role. Because everybody else is like, oh, now they're like the the male, you know, the mailman is now the delivery truck driver, and, and you know all that stuff. And I think it's just like you get a big comedic actor who is who can play both the comedy and the drama in this first episode, mm-hmm. and then presumably he had something else to do. Presumably he had another job he was tied to. But it's just the fact that him and Deborah Jo Rupp are listed as regulars on the show <laughs> for the episodes in which they appear. Mm-hmm. But 
neither of them have anything to do and arguably are kind of like the fourth and fifth people in the town by the time you get to the end. Mm. You see Deborah like sitting, getting coffee as Wanda's driving into the town kind of thing. And it's just that kind of weird... Maybe a COVID thing as well, I doubt it. Maybe, no, because they'd filmed it. They must have filmed most of it before COVID. So. Yeah, I have to assume it was just he had another project that he was involved in and they just wanted like... It, but it just makes me question like, mm. was this filmed as like a proper pilot? Yeah, because I remember you and I discussing between episodes one and two, like, oh, was this genuinely a pilot? Because the, the the whole house has changed, and then that very quickly became, oh no, no, the house is going to change every week. Simpler just, just times. Just a weird thought, right? So shall we shall we run through the cast in terms of the main ones? So yeah. I'll go from bottom up, but save the kind of like the two that obviously are in contention for all Marvel uh-huh. until the end. So Evan Peters, I couldn't stand that like voice he was doing, but like you know there is undoubtedly fun little chemist, you know, fucking around with the kids. And- and like, what happened to your accent? What happened to yours? Kind of thing was a good moment. <laughs> yeah, I think he's good, and it's just it's just a shame that it's very obvious that this comes before they decided the multiverse existed. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just a line that's like, oh, I just pulled someone from a different timeline. Yeah. It's so easy to do that, or at least I pulled a guy who was your brother in a different timeline, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a minor quibble. He's he's fun in the role for what he gets to do, but he's very much a red herring, which I think annoyed mm-hmm. people who were kind of like looking for the secrets to the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. from this. Cat <laughs> Dennings? She's always just Cat Dennings, isn't she? Like, like I, I like Darcy in theory, but like, a, and this is this is her meatiest role by far. Mm. It's nice seeing her be like big scientist in charge instead of. It almost came across as she was just like interning for a college credit and had no interest in what Jane was doing in Thor and now she's evolved into like she is a leading expert in astrophysics and they're going to call her in to consult yeah she's also a leading expert in superhero bullshit having been on two <laughs> adventures with an Avenger at this point yeah yeah, and, fine. And, yeah her and Randall Park are two that I'm like I'm just happy they get to still be employed to do this they mm. bring a level of chemistry to yeah. this thing that kind of like makes it more palatable even when it's breaking the structure I think is like the very important yeah. thing they're a good little double act she's offering him a snack and he thinks she's asking if he wants kids and he's like going off on a rant about a little tiny Jimmy Woo with a little tiny FBI badge and stuff Randall Park good in everything it's, it's the kind of thing that I wish Marvel had more of is just more of these actors who can just be slotted into a variety of different I was, I was kind of hoping Jimmy Woo would be the new Coulson that he would just show up in every show and like be the connective tissue but I mean he is done with Fresh Off the Boat now so hopefully he's got more time to do kind of like those kind of things yeah. but then we also haven't had anything that like would allow him to but then you also mm. think that like Shang-Chi is where's Shang-Chi set is it San Francisco uh, Oakland I think Oakland. which is very close to San Francisco but yeah, yeah, the West Coast just, for sure. Yeah, it's just it's just like because that's where Ant Man is, and it's just like Jimmy Woo could just yeah. fucking show up. Yeah, he could. Um, um, and then then kind of like we're on to the big four, like Tiana Paris. Yeah, great, a huge talent. We talked about her, and if Bill Street could talk for uh, there will be movies. Great, great actress. Great that she was in this. Cool that she's sticking around, and will get to be a large part of of their future. Well, that's um, the thing is like they very much like as much as this show is the Wonder and Vision show. Mm. It is introducing us to two actors who are like continuing on in kind of major roles and both definitely deserve to carry on, even if Agatha is like a huge question mark of like, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, it is a little weird that they are pivoting Captain Marvel 2 into the Marvels. Yeah, yeah. So you'll get Captain Marvel, you'll get Monica, who at various points has been called things like Captain Marvel, uh, and you'll get Ms. Marvel, who will debut in a series this year, and they will be the Marvels. You know, I think ensembles are generally better than solo movies. It's just weird that you're kind of cutting off, like, Brie Larson starred in, like, the second highest grossing solo movie, and you're basically going, like... (laughs) She doesn't have the star power. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we we didn't mention even for one moment. Monica is the daughter of Maria Rambo, who was Carol's... Let's just say real good friend in Captain Marvel. And she's the little girl who, who chose the colours of, of, of Carol's suit. In her yeah, really as, as a recent scene. statement from some people at Pixar pointed out, basically every single moment of LGBT, even hinting, <laughs> is gutted by higher-ups yeah. at Marvel. Whatever, they were girlfriends. I don't give a fuck what they <laughs> want to say. <laughs> so there could be some awkwardness there with her kind of stepmom. You know, however you want to classify that relationship. But it yeah, would be she... funny if they got to do that movie, but yeah. Um, and then <laughs> Paul Bettany, who I think is game for everything. Yeah, you know, he's talking about Dick Van Dyke and Hugh Laurie, and he is very much that foppish, kind of like silly, clever idiot, or however you want to phrase it. I think letting him be posh and silly 
as a better use of him than him trying to seriously act as Vision. Even if, you know, he's a good actor, but it's just all of that makeup is so hard to work with and letting him, like, be in disguise as a person and be drunk and all of this stuff. He's getting to do more and undoubtedly his best Vision scenes he's ever had. Him him putting it all together, the confrontation with Wanda at the end credits kind of thing. I think it's unquestionable that this, like, they very obviously do have chemistry. And I yeah. think it's kind of surprising since I'm pretty sure that they would not have auditioned together. Nope. In Ultron. <laughs> like, that would have fully been a process where, like, you are putting Elizabeth Olsen in a room with Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, him saying, we've always been of one mind. And, like, him just, just genuinely being concerned that, like, she's behaving strangely before he uncovers everything. He's really good. He just is outclassed by the big two. Is the thing. Yeah, like that, that thing is like, in, and that's why he isn't in contention for the All Marvel. Yeah. But the thing is, there are two people who are in contention for the All Marvel. Yeah. And we have one spot. Yeah. This I mean, yeah, we could use a bonus pick early, but that's we know where those are going. Let's not even entertain the idea that they're up for grabs. If in a future, I'm just gonna say next week, there's a very high chance nobody gets it, we can come back and and put no, the I'm, second I'm person. I'm Julie Louis Dreyfus uh-huh. is my pick for All Marvel. Right. Okay. I don't even dislike that performance. She's just. The I first mean, it's person. fine, but <laughs> yeah. So we are talking Elizabeth Olsen versus uh, Catherine Hahn. I think they are both absolutely excellent. I know they're both going to end up on here. Like, there's no way they're not. But if forced to pick one. I would lean Catherine Hahn. Yeah, 100%. I think Hahn is, even in the moments where this show suffers in kind of like descending into something that is kind of unappealing, she is just this bright, like, during the villain monologue, she's so good, even when it is just turning into this, like, CGI mess. She is a bright spark for the five minutes of every episode that she's in up to that point. She... Mm. She has the wink. She has Agatha all along. Like, obviously, Elizabeth Olsen is doing bigger and kind of more serious work, but she is less adept at the comedy. She was more game for it than I thought she would be. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll say she, that. Like, I, but, but Catherine Hart is Catherine Hart. Like, yeah, she yeah, has yeah. made a career doing comedy She's just stuff. so good at that, like, spicy, judgy neighbour. Like, you know, it, it's winks, it's little innuendo, it's like, you know, constantly talking about the unseen husband who actually ends up being Ralph Boner. Boner, ha. Huh? Having the time of our life when she's revealed as the actual villain. Love in that flashback. She's dropped all pretense and, and like, young Pietro is yelling and she's like, we are right here. Like, you know, like, hey, kids like all of that and even is is solid in like the inverted salem witch trial type thing where instead of like being a witch it's like you've betrayed your coven i don't support the concept of a house of harkness i think this is just corporations trying to capitalize on things that were popular and not knowing when to be like that was great it's done maybe bring her back one day or have Mordo kill her at the beginning of Doctor Strange or something. But don't give her a fucking show. Yeah, where... I'm really hoping that it just... They can't break it. Like, they've announced it, but like they just cannot figure out I don't think that happens. With, I've never seen them pull back once they've put a logo out. Like, uh, in Humans. Did that get that, that, was, that was announced. That was fully announced. And I think Cap- okay. Captain Marvel or something took... No, Spider-Man took the spot of... And he had, like, Vin Diesel like openly saying he'd read for Black Bolt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically, Feige managed to wrestle control of the, the okay. Marvel Cinematic Well, I mean, Inhumans did come out. It just was a very bad TV show. Yes, but it, it fully got removed from the slate, and okay, Feige fine. was not shy about it. I mean, you know, in terms of, like, the, I wrote that thing, you know, the, the all the future projects, checking how hype I am about all of them, and, like, this is very firmly falling into the, like, there's too much Marvel camp. It, it does yeah, not need to exist, even if she's... Is amazing and we'd love her to come back we've reached a point where she's dealt with you could bring her back as a villain in the future she could snap out of it or whatever but you we don't need a here's agatha throughout history as a witch kind of show yeah i think that is the fundamental thing it's like we're looking at this we're doing eight episodes the entirety of phase one which took place between 2008 and 2012 was six movies (laughs) we are covering so much marvel stuff the idea that we're gonna have to start doing things that feel like they don't really have a purpose yeah there's no reason for that show to exist and there's never been a not been a reason for a movie to exist yeah i don't understand i don't understand what secret invasion and armor wars are trying to achieve other than maybe being like our one opportunity of team up movies that we're going to get for the foreseeable future yeah armor wars is the biggest one that i'm like oh dude don't even try that <laughs> but like 
but all of this is not to take away from Catherine Hahn. So thrilled for her that she's in something so high profile in such a big meaty role. She's not just like a best friend or a friend of a friend or whatever. That's the thing. It's like she's obviously someone who I think a lot of people recognise, and I think a lot of people would say that they like. But this feels like this is a calling card performance for yeah. her. She's going to be in Knives Out too. Mm. She's so fucking good in Spider Man to the Spider Verse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In her role, like she, she's just someone who's like. I mean, even something like Step Brothers, in which she plays like the put and horny wife, just someone who I love and who can flip between kind of like dramatic and comedic work. And this is just a complete calling yep. card performance for her. She's on the all Marvel list. She is our twenty fourth entry. She's also the villain in the movie, uh, the movie, the TV show. Where do you stand on this? I am torn between actually good and one hundred percent. Because that's the thing is like I feel like the things that make her actually good are not things that make her villainous. Yeah, and like because they're intentionally hiding in plain sight that she is the villain, it's very difficult to gauge. And like you know, when I went back and reviewed it episode by episode, I knowing she was the villain was paying closer attention to like what she's doing, and it is all really good stuff. But like her motivations and goals are delivered in an info dump right before the end, which is classic. We didn't have room enough room to make you interesting behavior. So I'm thinking she's very high on the eh list. I thought Hella was fun. But she's not a like engaging character, and Agatha is a great deal of fun. But arguably, Agnes is more fun than Agatha is, yes. and like making that distinction feels bullshit. But the whole podcast is bullshit. Yeah, so that's, that's the thing. Is, I, I think I think it's an it's an air as a villain performance. It's yeah. just it's a it's a fantastic performance. It's kind yeah, of similar yeah. to like if we were to say that Ben Mendelsohn is a villain mm. in Captain Marvel, even though he like fundamentally isn't. But it's yeah, like it's a yeah, performance yeah, yeah. that we like we really dig. Or even I mean, I'm not saying that Aidan Killian is like a good role, but it's a movie that we love and he doesn't hurt it yeah i think she goes in the air category yeah no so. I, I hard, hard agree there. but if you compare her to like some of what we've gone before like it is trending up for the most part so if this I is think, the baseline getting, low point i think i'm yeah. fine with it they're but. getting better at using people for their strengths mm-hmm. at this point and obviously every so often you get a jude law in captain marvel where it's like why the fuck you in this movie dude <laughs> But on the flip side of it, you get Kate Blanchett having a lot of fun, you get Catherine O'Hahn having a lot of fun, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the valley that they need to be in more frequently. You, you can see fun on the screen, is, is the thing that no one ever considers, because they're making stuff from a corporate point of view, but people respond to fun. When a cast has chemistry, you can tell. When it's all just, everyone's coming in, shooting their scenes, and fucking off to their trailer, you can tell. Okay. That's WandaVision. More about WandaVision than I thought we would have, but WandaVision has a lot going on. What does not have a lot going on is some heinous bullshit we'll be talking about next week. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a title I I could not believe right up until it came out that they stuck with. It's wild to me that Marvel put out a project worse than that last year. This is true. (laughs) For a long time, this was number eight or number nine with a bullet. But no, What If came along and just really fucked things up. Yes, but we will delve into solving racism via Marvel. We will delve into therapy. Building boats. Building boats. I mean, you're listing the best part of the fucking show. (laughs) So really lower those expectations. So no spoilers for our thoughts next time, but it won't be fun because it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I watched half the first episode and had to turn it off to do <laughs> Batman things. Oh, uh, that's long since published. I know it is. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll prepare ourselves for the sadism of, uh, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier next week. I've been Matt Waters. I've been joined by Ben Phillips. Thank you, Ben. No worries. It's been it's been enjoyable. Yeah. It's good to be back with our first podcast. We've done many podcasts since, but this is the OG. This is the OG, and we're doing it, and it, I've, we've grown as people, we've grown as podcasters. <laughs> we've lived through the, the like fifth tragedy of our entire lives. Yeah. I might even have COVID right now for a fun time capsule. I hope I don't by the time you're hearing this, but yeah, I'm going to go do a test right now, actually. And uh, until next time, Excelsior, I guess. Excelsior. Yeah. Bye. And I killed Sparky, too.